Hello and good morning. I'm Len Cowan. I'm part of the Journey Preaching Team. I'm also Father Len, Abbot of the Abbey of the Way, which is a house of prayer and spiritual formation, especially for Christian leaders. And that's where I'm speaking to you now in this age of coronavirus. To state the really obvious, this is a really scary season. There's the catastrophe of this epidemic soon to peak in our part of the world. There's the meltdown of our economic system, rescued only by huge borrowing. And there's the challenges of unprecedented proportions for most of us. Now, for a little perspective, the church has been through this before. From the Cyprian plague of the third century, which is sort of like the Ebola virus, where 5,000 a day died in Rome, to the Black Death from the 14th to the 18th century in Europe, the bubonic plague that killed a third of that continent, to the 1918 flu epidemic, where there were 675,000 deaths here in the U.S. and 50 million deaths worldwide. God's people were there and went through it all. Well, how did the church survive? Well, in part on its ethic of love for God and love for neighbor. It was Christians who delved in to offer medical care of the type that was available at that time. They helped their neighbor to alleviate suffering and disease and death. It survived on the power of the resurrection, which was a key theme of the New Testament message. But it also survived on the power of the cross that points to the reality of human suffering, its causes, and its cure in Christ. In those dark days, the cross actually became the dominant symbol of Christianity. Well, why was that so? Because the cross changed everything about human life for those who will receive it. St. Paul says the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God and it is the wisdom of God. You see, at the cross, we see human and demonic brokenness, sickness, and hostility doing their deadliest. And yet we also see God's generosity and goodness and justice and mercy and power overcoming it all. The cross changed everything and can still change everything about life in this pandemic, both the present and any future, including your life and my life. Now, I not only wear a cross, I have a larger one by my side. Now, these are Celtic crosses. They're the cross, so to speak, of St. Patrick. The cross is set over a circle representing the sun, which was what the people in the early Celtic lands worshipped. And so the cross is, so to speak, Lord of any Lord, Lord of the sun. Now, this cross is interesting to look at from various different viewpoints in the light. And that's what I want to do today. I want to look at Christ's cross its significance, its meaning from various angles in the light of the current situation that we're in and especially in the light of God's word so that the wisdom and the power of God that the cross has can come to us today. So we're going to consider the cross in its various views from the scriptures and particularly from the story of the cross in Mark chapter 15 verses 1 to 47. Now isn't it interesting that the cross story appears magically, if you will, in our Mark message series here at The Journey right now, when the passion and the suffering story of Christ can address us in our time of suffering. So I'm reading from the New International Version in Mark chapter 15, beginning at verse 1. Very early in the morning, 
the chief priests and the elders, the teachers of the law, and the whole Sanhedrin made their plans. So they bound Jesus, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate. Are you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate. You have said so, Jesus replied. The chief priests accused him of many things. So again, Pilate asked Jesus, Aren't you going to answer? See how many things they're accusing you of. But Jesus still made no reply, and Pilate was amazed. Now, it was the custom at the festival to release a prisoner whom the people requested. A man called Barabbas was in prison with the insurrectionists who had committed murder in the uprising. The crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate knowing it was out of self-interest that the chief priests had handed Jesus over to him. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. What shall I do then with the one you call the king of the Jews? Pilate asked them. Crucify him, they shouted. Why? What crime has he committed? asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, Crucify him! Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. Well, as the cross story begins, Jesus is convicted by both the religious and the secular authorities, and through their influence, convicted by the people who join in a chorus shouting, Crucify him! Now, at the center are Jesus, innocent goodness, and Barabbas, a rebellious murderer. Now, Barabbas is in prison due to his sin, and he's held by an equally sinful power under Pontius Pilate, a Judean governor, who's ruled by the wicked Roman emperor dictator Tiberius. Now, for Barabbas, the cross of Christ is his ransom. For when Pilate came out to the crowd to observe the custom of his releasing a prisoner at the Passover, Jesus, the innocent, was sentenced to the cross so that Barabbas, the guilty, could go free. Well, the same is true for us, for the cross is our ransom. It sets us free from bondage to sin and its sentence, death. Jesus said, the Son of Man came to give his life as a ransom for many. We are all held in bondage under the human law of sin and death, but the cross, at the cross, the law of the Spirit who gives life, has set us free from the law of sin and death. We were ransomed, we were redeemed from an empty life that we inherited by the precious blood of Christ at the cross. By his death, he breaks the power of the devil who holds us and frees those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. In this house, I grew up with a, a dread of dying, but now I'm set free by the cross set free from that and from any other things that used to hold me bondage. So in these days of intense fear of death and destruction, the cross is our ransom. It sets us free from fear. It empowers us to act and live fully, boldly and confidently today as we live for him. St. Paul says, you were bought with a price. Glorify God with your body. That leads us to a second view of the cross which we find in Mark 6, 15, verse 16. The soldiers led Jesus away into the palace, that is, the praetorium, and called together the whole company of soldiers. 
They put a purple robe on him, then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on him. They began to call out to him, Hail, King of the Jews! Again and again they struck him on the head with a staff and spit on him. Falling on their knees, they paid homage to him. When they had mocked him, they took off the purple robe and put his own clothes on him, and then they led him out to crucify him. And a certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way in from the country, and they forced him to carry the cross. In Jesus' encounter with the soldiers, we see his goodness and restraint in the face of mocking humiliation through the royal purple robe and the painful crown of thorns. Now in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus has said to his disciples, who wanted to take up arms against the crowd that came to arrest him, Do you not think that I cannot call on my Father, and he will at once put at my disposal more than twelve legions of angels? Those who take the sword will perish by the sword. In Jesus' meekness, which is power that's restrained, and mercy that's love undeserved, God showed his love for us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. His nonviolent resistance in word and deed carried him through the cross. Peter says, Christ suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow in his steps. And so the cross is our morality. It encourages us to follow Jesus' example. The cross is our standard of behavior in difficult days, like these days. Peter says, when they hurled insults, Jesus did not retaliate. He made no threats. He entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Well, in these days of self-preservation, self-promotion, and mistrust of everybody, we can entrust ourselves to the God who judges justly and loves fully. And join Timothy, who was advised by St. Paul to set an example in speech and conduct and love and faith and purity, which is all the morality of the cross. It's so wonderful that in these days, churches, including the Journey Community Church and its various members, are engaging in outreach to others in this time when many are staying locked up inside themselves. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world, but he also said, you are the light of the world. Let your light so shine that others may see the good that you do and give glory to your Father in heaven. In these dark days, we can shine with the morality of the cross. Well, our third view of the cross brings us to the crucifixion itself, beginning at verse 22. They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. Then they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him. Dividing up his clothes, they cast lots to see what each would get. It was nine in the morning when they crucified him. And the written notice of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. They crucified two rebels with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, So, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. 
Let this Messiah, this King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. And those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. The center of this story is, of course, Jesus crucified. Crucified for rebellion against the powers of this world. For above his head was the charge against him, Jesus, King of the Jews. And at his right and his left were two people crucified for rebellion against the power of the universe, not Rome, but the one that actually was in between them, Jesus. They rebelled against him. At the center of the cross of Jesus is our rebellion, ours against God and his rule, and his necessary requirement that scales of justice be balanced by an equal punishment by the offenders, which would be us. For in Exodus 21, we read an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, a life for a life. And that life for life provision gets played out in the Old Temple Testament, the Old Testament sacrifices. The law requires that nearly everything, Hebrews says, be cleansed with blood, for without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. And so a living animal was sacrificed its blood given for the life of the worshiper, pointing forward to the justice of the cross, the sacrifice of God himself in the blood of the man Jesus to atone for, to set the justice scales right for the sin and rebellion of men and women, of you and me, the whole world, all people, all time. You see, justice is an essential part of God's character. We depend on it when we are treated unjustly, but we tend to reject it when we treat God or others unjustly. But justice must be done for the wrongs that we have done so that we can be reconciled to God and to others. And that's what Jesus did on the cross to satisfy his own justice. And so the cross is our justice, riding the scales on our behalf. Paul says in Romans that God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. And so this Palm Sunday morning, have you received his sacrifice? Have you repented of your sin and believed in his remedy at the cross? We probably all know this verse that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son to die for us to intercede for us, to right the scales of justice on our behalf so that we might become children of God. So in this quieter time that most of us are at home, we have the opportunity to admit to God our own injustice, our sin and rebellion, seeking reconciliation with him through Christ and seeking his justice and peace with those that we may have wronged or may have wronged us. Friends, Time may literally be too short for us to hold resentment or unforgiveness against God or other people or to deny our fault in a broken relationship or to refuse to be at peace so far as is possible with us. Having been treated with such justice and such mercy at the cross, we can not dare to ask God to bring us closer with him. We must do that and with those he sends us to, even as we practice physical distancing. Now the fourth view of the cross brings us to the actual death of Jesus. Verse 33. At noon, 
darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, listen, he's calling Elijah. And so someone ran and filled a sponge with wine vinegar and put it on a staff and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. And with a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. In this view of the cross, we see Jesus' death, but perhaps more importantly, we hear his cry of anguish. My God, why have you forsaken me? Now, Jesus is quoting Psalm 22, verse 1. That's a psalm of lament, of sorrow. It also becomes a hymn of praise. You see, that cry is actually the cry that every human being who ever lived, who is now living and whoever will live, has said at some point in his or her life, God, why have you forsaken me? In these days ahead, many people will cry out in their grief, their confusion, or at their death, that they are forsaken by God. Still others will come to realize as they try to pray that they have been separated from God by their sin and that a holy God can't draw near to sin without some kind of divine intervention. And that's where the cross comes in, the divine intervention to answer that forsaken cry. The cross is our substitute. Jesus forsaken, substituting, so that we won't have to be forsaken. On the cross, Jesus took upon himself the sins of the whole world, including yours and mine, sins past, sins present, and sins future, becoming sin for us once and for all, and issuing forth that forsaken cry so that we might not be forsaken by God as we face the troubles of this life or as we face the judgment and the potential condemnation of our sin before we enter the life to come. Peter says, Christ himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. So in these days of deep disappointment and disillusionment, as we wonder if there is a God in heaven, or as we consider that none of us is immune from the original virus which causes such misery, which is our sin and the sins of the world, we can turn to our substitute, Jesus, and we can thank him for taking our sin virus into his own body so that whether we live or die, we will not be forsaken and can live with him today and forever as we trust him to restore us to a right life under his direction today and tomorrow and forever. I don't know about you, but I can't imagine facing these days at odds with God. And I'm so grateful that long ago, some dear friends pointed me to my substitute, which was at the cross. As we look around us, many grieving people are around us and we can give them a personal account of the real hope that we have for the future that's in us because of our substitute, Jesus on the cross, and we can point them 
to him. The fifth view of the cross is right after Jesus dies. Verse 38. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, Surely this was the Son of God. Some women were watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the younger, and of Joseph and Salome. In Galilee, these women had followed him and cared for his needs. Many other women who had come up with him to Jerusalem were also there. Here are three quick scenes, all of which point to the cross as Christ's victory over sin, death, and separation from God, which he wishes to share with all of us, with each of us, with every one of us. This is victory. At the moment Jesus breathed his last, the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Now that curtain was created by God's instruction to keep people away from the Holy of Holies, the inner sanctuary where sinful human beings would die in God's holy presence, which was thought to dwell there. Only the high priest could enter that place once a year, only after having been thoroughly and uniquely prepared to do so. Well, as the curtain was torn, it was as if God was now busting out, making himself accessible to everyone who would come to him. And it was torn from top to bottom as if to create an opening, an entrance for people to come into him, making an opening for us to enter into Jesus and into God's presence. Why? Because we're suddenly the Holy of Holies? No, because he is and because he's the merciful Holy of Holies. Having taken upon himself the sins of all of us and having them nailed them to the cross and atoned for them, then in exchange, he now gives us his holiness, us who will receive it. He will transfer his righteousness to all who will believe and receive him, giving them the right to become children of God with full access to his presence then, today, and even right now, this day. This is victory. Victory when the Roman centurion witnessed Jesus' death and expresses faith in the crucified Son of God. He says, surely he was the Son of God. You see, there's now no longer access to God just for the Jews, but for all people, including this Roman Gentile. All nations, all races, all peoples, all ethnic groups, all languages can now come to God through the crucified Jesus. Sin, all the barriers of sin and privilege that separate us from one another have been removed by the cross. And we find our true unity by faith in him. No one you ever know or ever will meet is prevented from entering in with him if they will come. And this is victory too. The women were watching all of this. The women followed him and would care for his needs even after his death. The women had come up with him, no longer just accessories to the story, no longer having to come to God through a father or a brother or a husband. Women were and are lifted up by the cross and can come to him in their own right, becoming, as the story goes on next week, to show, becoming the first witnesses to the resurrection. Jesus gives them and all who will come to him the authority and the power to act in his name. This is victory at the cross. 
St. Paul says, when we were dead in our sins, God made us alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He's taken it away. He's nailed it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and the authorities, he's triumphed over them by the cross. We've been made alive at the cross. Saint Irenaeus of the second century said, the glory of God is a human being fully alive, all made possible by the victory of the cross of Christ. Even though there will be those who will get sick and die in these days, maybe even because of their service to Christ and to others, the glory of God is in their being fully alive, serving him today and forever. So the summary view of the cross is actually at Jesus' burial. I'm reading from Mark chapter 15, verses 42 to 47. It was preparation the day, that is, the day before the Sabbath. So as evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Pilate was surprised to hear that Jesus was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked him if Jesus had already died. And when he learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave the body to Joseph. So Joseph bought some linen cloth, took down the body, wrapped it in the linen, and placed it in a tomb cut out of rock. Then he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where Jesus was laid. As we've seen, the cross changes everything. Because of the cross, this burial represents the burial of the first kind of life and the first kind of world. B.C., not before Christ, but B.C., before the cross. When it once again seemed as if sin, evil, and death won the victory because of the cross and what comes next week, now we know that they never did, they never are, they never will, even in this age of coronavirus. Though we will grieve many losses, we will grieve with others who grieve and pray against the onslaught of this virus, we can still rejoice that the second life is apparent and it's available to all now, not just for heaven, but for today because of the cross. Jesus said, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. And so when Jesus was died and was buried in the ground, he produced many seeds, replications of himself, Christians who right now are bearing more fruit today than ever. You see, the cross is a revolution. It's new life, it's new creation, it's new world on its way. The cross ends the first life, the old life, the old order of things. Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. This cross, this revolution is meant to become our way of life. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Well, follow him to what? To the same old life waiting for heaven? No! to join Jesus in the revolution of the second life of the cross, freed by its ransom, 
encouraged by its morality, reconciled by its justice, restored by its being our substitute, and empowered by its victory. We can join Jesus now in the revolution, busting down the gates of hell, going after its sin, disease, death, and destruction, bringing his life, his love, his righteousness, his truth, his healing, and his reformation. And we can do it right now right now by our physical distancing to save other people's lives. Some of us can do it by social service in our jobs. Some of us can do it in our vocations. Some of us can do it in our volunteering and our callings. We can all do it by social engagement online, on the phone, by mail, waving, blessing. We believers can do it as we pray for others and perhaps with others. Friends, this virus has, at least temporarily and perhaps longer term, changed everything. And yes, it's changed it for the worse, particularly for those who get sick or have lost their jobs or their livelihoods. But friends, God is at work to change things for the better through his cross. And we who bear his name and take up the cross life now set before us can be part of that change. For yes, America will be coming back. But for believers everywhere, it won't be to what we once were. We believers are meant to come back through the cross of Christ and the remarkable surge of the Holy Spirit, which is coming soon and through whom we will be doing remarkable things and bear abundant fruit for God's kingdom. Yes, the church, the people of God, has gone through pandemics before, but not just to survive but rather to thrive and to advance with the good news and the real life of Jesus. At believers in the cross and the empty tomb, we are to rise up in his name to engage this sick and disordered world with the good news of the revolutionary Savior who comes to seek and to save you and me and everybody. Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, I thank you for your cross. Thank you for what you've done there for us and that that cross applies to all of us, whether we be sick or well, whether we be resting or in anguish, whether we be an individual or a, a family or whether we be a community or a state or a nation or a world. Thank you, Lord, that your cross covers it all. Your blood covers everything, Lord. And I pray that you would encourage us in the midst of our tears, Lord God, I pray that you would lift us up into your presence where we may not only be still and know that you are God, but that we may act as you would have us act if only just to pray and to be awake and alive in you for what you are going to do in response to this dreadful day. So come, Lord Jesus, and bring us the miracle of your cross. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.